Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you all. Uh, and I just want to just reiterate how grateful that we are, that we can be together in person um, as a community. We, uh, Don and I, uh, just spent a couple of days with some other pastors that are from all over California. And uh, I think a large majority of them are not able to meet in person right now due to various circumstances. And it made me very grateful for our church community being able to be together in person because I like seeing your faces. It's nice, yeah. It's nice to be seen, huh? Um, but uh, again, my name is Luke, and I just want you to know we're, we're so grateful. I mean, I'm grateful for that. And it's really, um, I think one of the challenging things on Sunday mornings uh, for me is I don't get to always say hi to everybody or talk to everybody, but I just want you all to know that I'm grateful that you're here and, and, uh, and it's good to be together and to be able to study scripture or pray or sing or all the different things that we do. So anyway, uh, so I grew up in church, as many of you know, uh, meaning that when I was like two years old, my mom became a Christian and then began forcing me to go to church. And, uh, and it was like forever, you know, and I just remember as a kid mostly being like, oh my gosh, why are we always going to church? Because when I was growing up, I grew up in the era where if you were a Christian, you were at church like five days a week. Anybody grew up that way at all? Like all, how many of you? I just want to know how many of us need therapy together. All right. We just need to talk about this. All right. But I mean, it was seriously, it was like Sunday morning before service, we'd have prayer then we'd have church service and then we'd have Sunday evening service. And then there was always a Monday night thing to go to. And then we had Wednesday night service. And then Thursday, there's a prayer thing to go to. And then if it was really special, there was revival services on Friday and Saturday. It was like, oh my gosh, you know. And so I had a pretty bad attitude about most of my church experience growing up. Uh, and my mom, you know, she became a Christian. And when we became Christians as a family, we just started being in church all the time. And one of the things that I observed is that my mom became a Christian in a church that didn't do music really. I mean, like they would sing songs, but no musical instruments allowed, like at all. So there'd be like this dude who got up and he'd have a little like harmonica thing. He'd be like, and then they'd all sing a hymn. And I was just like, like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. And my dad would fall asleep all the time. And my dad snores really loud. (laughs) And so he'd be like, and my mom would be super embarrassed, you know? And then if I goofed off at all, he would slap me. I'm like, dude, you were sleeping, man. I'm like, what's going on here? And that was my introduction to worship, okay, was just being in this environment where it was kind of, I don't know, very, very boring. And so it was, you know, no emotional expressions at all. And then my mom had this encounter with a bunch of charismatic Holy Spirit people, and they started going to this Bible study, and they started playing guitars, and I remember I was like, oh my gosh, they have guitars in church, this is so evil, and like, what is going on, and then I finally went to a Sunday service, and so mind you, I'd only gone to churches that didn't have any musical instruments, and we went to this church where all of a sudden there were banners, and trumpets, and flags, and everybody was running around in circles, and I swear to you, I thought my mom had like lost it, I was like, we're part of a cult now, it's happened, like she's crazy. And I just remember like watching all this stuff happen. I was like, what are these people doing? They're so crazy. And, and then um, we started attending this church that was like kind of in between. It was pretty normal. And uh, I remember um, going to the small group one time though, 
and we were talking about worship. And so it was me and a couple other kids and then a bunch of adults, and they were talking about worship. They were talking about what worship is. And um, how many of you, by a show of hands, are a little weirded out or feel awkward about raising hands during worship? All right. I love how you'll do it right now, though, but you won't do it for Jesus. No, I'm not judging you. Just kidding. Awfully touchy this morning. But anyway, I was like weirded out by that. And this, this guy was talking about how, you know, one of the ways to worship is to lift your hands. And I was like, I don't understand what that's about. Why do you do that? <clears throat> and his name was Alan Payne. I'll never forget. I was like 11 years old. He said, he said, Luke, when people lift their hands like this, what they're doing is they're saying, God, I want you to fill me up. And you're making a big, your hands are like a bowl. You're just wanting God's presence, more of God's presence in your life. And I remember at the time I was like, okay, that makes sense. Still weird, still not going to do it. <laughs> so that was like when I was 12 or so. And then a few years later, we'd moved and we were going to this other church that was like as Pentecostal as they get. Meaning super, super expressive. And like every single week, it was like, the Holy Spirit would show up, which meant that everybody had to be super weird. And I remember like on the way to church, I was like, oh man, my friend, my friend spent the night last night. I hope the Holy Spirit don't show up. <laughs> I hope, I, Lord, don't come, don't come. <laughs> I'm being serious right now, okay? This is traumatic. And then like, you know, things would happen and I'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I'd be explaining to my friends, you know, like, like I, it was weird, though, because I'd be in the stage where I'd, like, be kind of defensive about it because it was my church community. It's like, no, it's in the Bible. Super weird. It's in the Bible. And, uh, and so I, I've had this, like, interesting journey with the idea of worship is my point, where I've gone from, um, you know, seeing, seeing it be really non-expressive to, you know, the far extreme where everybody's crazy trained out and just trying to figure, like, what exactly is going on here? And, but two things happened in my life. So that, that conversation with Alan Payne when I was a young boy telling me that lifting your hands was a way of, of inviting God's presence into your life, that made a mark on me. Because years later, I still think about that when I'm in the, engaging in worship and I'm lifting my hands. I still remember that moment of this is me saying, Lord, I want more of your presence in my life. Like I still think about that. And then also I had this other experience where, you know, growing up in church, I'd seen it all. I still am like, I really do think that many of us who grew up in church need to have therapeutic sessions because we've just seen so many crazy things. But I went to this conference one time and I was 16 years old, thought I knew everything. Um, I was not interested in the church thing at all. And I went to this conference and on the first night, there's like 6,000 people in this room and we started singing, and I was just kind of like, oh, man. I'd gone to this conference. It was a youth group conference. And I went because there was a girl. As all good youth group events start, okay? It's like, oh, I got to see about this girl. So I was there, and I was just like, man, this is so boring. And the only way to describe it is that as soon as we began singing, I could sense the tangible presence of God in the room. And all of a sudden, I remember feeling like two things. I immediately felt like I was so small. Not in a, like, I'm a bad person small, like, vibe. I just remember feeling like God is so much greater and bigger than I've ever imagined. 
And it was like in that moment, I, I felt all these, like these really crazy ideas. I felt like, oh my gosh, God is so much bigger and grander and more glorious than I could ever imagine. And yet I also felt like God was uniquely, uniquely, he uniquely loved me. Like in that moment, I had this sense of God's love. And I just remember, I was like, what is going on? And it was, it was like, all of a sudden, I couldn't, I could not stand and engage in singing. It was like, before that, I was not that dude. I was like, nah, I'm not, that's not me. In fact, I think I spent a lot of my life, and I think we all probably, to some degree, struggle with being more concerned about what people around us might think and less concerned about what God might think. And so that's kind of like my journey into worship. And then, you know, I, I had this other encounter with the Lord um, when I was about 24 years old. And I, I've shared this before, but I, you know, went to another conference. And I hate conferences. I have to tell you that. That's the thing I hate about, hate, hate conferences generally. But I went to this conference. I was in like an informational meeting not even like church time, just sitting there listening to them talk about this, this school that was starting. And all of a sudden, I just had this overwhelming sense of God's presence in this moment, tangible. Like I knew that I knew that I knew that God was there. And I knew that I knew that I knew that he loved me. I felt more love than I'd ever been felt in my, felt in my life. I remember just weeping, weeping uncontrollably because for the first time in my life, at 20 Three, 24 years old, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that not only did God, God love all of his creation, he loved me in particular. And just being totally just undone. I'm telling you, I was a weeping mess, you know. Remember after it, I was still like just really overwhelmed by God's love. And I, we, my mom, you know, was like, oh, isn't God's love good? And she's holding my shoulder. I'm like, that makes it worse. Snot everywhere. And then, you know, she's like, well, we're going to go to lunch. And I mean, I was just messed up, crying, weeping uncontrollably, like unable to pull it together. And so we went to Fuddruckers. Anybody ever heard of Fuddruckers? Yeah, so we're going to Fuddruckers, and I'm like still crying. And my mom orders her burger, and I walk up, and I'm like, I'll make a cheeseburger. <laughs> you know, like totally embarrassed. But like those things happened, and they really made an impact on my understanding of worship. And and so my worship journey really has gone, I think, in some ways from being confused about it or embarrassed to maybe a little curious about what exactly is going on to wanting to be more engaged in it. And so for this month, as you know, if you've been around, we've been doing this sermon series about being engaged in the kingdom. And we're talking about different ways to engage in the work of the kingdom or the practices of the kingdom or being more attentive to the kingdom in our lives. And we've, uh, we've said, I've said that we're going to basically camp out in John chapter 4. And so John chapter 4, really quickly, what we've seen is Jesus is traveling and he, he decides to take a shortcut and he goes to this village uh, of a community that the Jewish people, Jesus was Jewish, the Jewish people were not cool with, the Samaritans. And he goes there and he sits on a well as his disciples leave. And then he has this conversation with this woman at the well. And they have this really long conversation about different things. And she becomes aware of who he is because he's, through his um, attentive, strategic, intentional conversation, is able to help her come to the conclusion that he is the Messiah. 
He is the one that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, and I think all human beings deeply are longing for and are waiting for. And then we read these words. And we've read these words, but I want to just have us read these words again because I think there's something for us in regard to worship. Last week we talked about being a prophetic people in the same way that Jesus was prophetic. Today I want to dive a little bit into worship. But let's read from the Gospel of John together. John chapter 4, we read these words. We read, Jesus replied to this woman, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Father... Lord, we pray now for this time as we we spend thinking about how this text of Scripture applies to our lives. We pray for your spirit, the same spirit which Jesus says must be accompanying our worship. We pray for that spirit to help us to see how we can apply this passage to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. So let's think about what is worship. That's kind of what I want to talk about. I mean, it's interesting. Jesus says that a time has come, it's here now, when true worshipers will be here. And the Father, God the Father, is looking, he's searching for those who will worship him in in spirit and in truth. So the question is, what is is worship? And I think there's a lot of different common ways for us to think about defining worship. I've I've heard people say things like, you know, worship is our relationship with God. Uh, A lot of people honestly say all the time that worship are the songs that we sing. Others will say that worship is how we live our lives or worship is sharing our faith or worship is going to church. And, you know, recently I asked this question on social media. I was just kind of curious, like, how do you um, define worship? And it was really fascinating all the different answers I got. I got some really good ones that were short and sweet, the way we like it maybe. And then other people went into great detail to describe their theology of worship. But there was something that, that was interesting that was like through the thread of many of these answers that people had. There was an emphasis on worship being an expression. It seemed like everybody who had a definition for worship was talking about how is it, it's an expression. And then there were other people who talked about it being an overflow from the heart. There were some great answers. You really should. This is the one time you should go on Facebook. Okay? And you can read all these people's answers. And so I I think the question for us for a moment is what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that the Father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth? That's our question right now. What does God what does God desire? When it when the text of scripture tells us that God is is looking for human beings who will worship him, who will engage in worship, but do so in the context of being in spirit and in truth. What does he mean by that? And so I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, there's a really great book that I was, um, I would say forced to read, but I'm thankful for reading it, uh, by Ernest Gentile called Worship God. And this is a text I had in grad school, and it's, it's basically just 
tons of Bible verses and the way that theologians have thought about about the subject of worship. And one of the really helpful things about this book is that he lays out a list of the way that the new, uh, the, the Psalms talks about worship. And just look at these, this list here of different ways that the Bible talks about worship. These are different ways of expressing worship. So you have speaking. Okay. I love that one, by the way. It's very, I'm worshiping. Leave me alone. Singing, shouting, lifting hands. In fact, in, fact, in Lamentations 341, I love how the writer of Lamentation says, let us lift our hearts and our hands. And that kind of goes to what Alan Payne had told me. When we lift our hands before the Lord, it's our way of lifting our hearts to God and saying, we want more of you. We want more of you. He also mentions playing instruments or clapping. White people sometimes struggle with that. Just being honest. All right, standing, though, is a way of worshiping. And then bowing and kneeling, and here's what's interesting about the bowing and kneeling is that in the Hebrew, there's a number of different words that are used to define that. And so not just bowing and kneeling, like literally getting on your knees, but oftentimes we can be sitting and and posturing ourselves and just bowing our heads. And I know many, many times we do that, okay? And then you have dancing. And these are just a few of the biblical expressions of worship, and each one of them I think has their place within what we would say we're trying to have biblical worship. And there's many others, many other ways to worship. Some of these, I think, are maybe more comfortable for us, and others might be more like, that's weird. Amen? And and I want to make a small suggestion here, though. I think really worship is is about how we relate to God. And it's how we are posturing our heart before the Lord. It's really about, I mean, it starts on the heart. That's, I think, the thing that Jesus is getting at, in spirit and in truth. It's not just about doing these things. And I think that's part of the problem we have in church culture, in church world, is that we get the list. And now we think as long as we do a couple of these things right here, we're good to go. But that's not what this is about. I mean, if these things aren't overflowing from our heart, they're not really worship. Right? They're not really worship. And so I think there's a tension to be had in how we, how we express our worship. And, and I want to say this too, just as an aside. I think that the more spiritually mature we are, the more we'll start asking a number of questions about worship. I, I for instance, will start asking, hey, is this way that I'm expressing my worship first and foremost honoring to God? But secondly, is it distracting to people? Is it distracting to people? Is it distracting people? Because I think about, like, um, I remember when I first started pastoring. So our church that we started pastoring had not had a pastor for a while. And what had happened is all these weirdos had started coming. And I mean weirdo in the bad way. Not like weirdo like us. Okay? I mean, there were people who were like, oh, I want to go there so I can do weird stuff just because there's nobody to, like, say I can't. So, like, I was there, like, one of the first Sundays, this guy was running around during the music time in circles with a bell. He had, be- he had a belt on with all these bells, and he was just doing, like, backflips. And I was just like, Whoa. Whoa. I was like, this is so weird. And I was like, I want to trip him when he runs by really bad. I do. And, or we had, you know, people just screaming uncontrollably during the service. And I remember wondering, I'm like, do they think God is deaf? Like, 
You know? And then, but then I started also feeling like, why am I so concerned about other people's worship expressions too? Right? And so there's this tension that happens because I think both of those are important. That's the, that's the tension we're trying to thread. So again, it's like, I want to honor God, but I also don't want to be a distraction to other people. So like case in point, during a slow song, like we're just slowly, we're in a slow song, it's a rock ballad. And we're just, we're just trying to lean into, you know, lean into maybe a little bit more intimate expression of worship. Is that the appropriate time to start screaming and clapping? Probably not, right? Because it might be a little distracting to all of us who are trying to engage with God. Are you with me? Like, I'm just, these are just the things. There's all these things that we have to think about with worship. And I think the point, though, is that it should be a posture of our heart. And what we should be really encouraged by is people who are, who are growing in their worship, who are beginning to feel the comfortability of being able to express their gratitude for who God is. And so here's how I define worship. If you want to know how I think we can define worship, is I define worship simply as the external expression of an inward reality. It is the external expression of an inward reality. So I think that worship includes a number of different things. Like if we're thinking about what is worship, like we're working towards this definition of being people who worship in spirit and in truth, what are, what are the ways that we can think about it? Well, the first one is that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. I do believe with all of my heart that human beings were created to worship. I think you and I were created with a longing or a desire to to have awe and wonder at something. And that until we find out who that person is, and his name is Jesus, until we find out who that person is, we, we struggle through life. John Calvin, the famous Protestant reformer, once said that the human heart is an idol factory. And I think there's something to that because have you noticed how it's very easy for us as human beings to, to create idols to where these things control all of our time and all of our attention? Let me just point out one to you right now. Football, we got to talk about it. I was praying the 49ers would lose. I was like, Lord, humble my church. Humble them. <laughs> okay, I will be humbled by a field goal. But on the real, like, there's, there are people who will tell you, like, sports was my, my idol. Or, or maybe it's, it's um, drugs or alcohol or relationships or whatever it is. It's really easy for us as human beings to take all of our allegiance and our focus and our attention and to place it on something that isn't Jesus. And what happens is we are unfulfilled. Amen? We're unfulfilled, but when you put all your worship, your attention, your focus, your allegiance on Jesus, you find a satisfaction that is is truly eternal and it's sustainable and it's lasting. And so worship is a lifestyle. Listen to this though. What I mean by this is worship is not just Sunday morning. Amen? Like that's the problem with churchianity and culture, right? Where we just think that worship is something we do on Sundays and that's all it's about. But worship is a lifestyle. Listen to what the prophet Amos prophesies. This is what the Lord speaks through Amos. Listen to these words. This is God speaking. He says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. 
Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. That's why Paul talks about how worship is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice where we live our lives in a way that conforms to the teachings of Scripture. And that used to, when I was growing up, to be completely honest with you, um, the reason why I went kicking and screaming into ministry is because when I was 24, 25, 26, and we're starting to sense this calling toward ministry, my biggest hang-up was that I thought most Christians were complete hypocrites because I grew up in the church. And it was interesting because at the time I was able to overlook my hypocrisy, but I thought everybody else was a hypocrite, right? And that's just the immaturity of youthfulness. But the reality is, is that many people, I think, oftentimes struggle with that, right? Because we see people on Sunday morning like, Jesus, you are so good. I love you. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, you're amazing. Oh, my gosh. I just love your presence. I just love how gracious and merciful you are. And then like an hour later when they're driving on the highway and somebody cuts them off. It's like you say the word Jesus, but it's a little different. It's like not the same, right? The whole point is that we're supposed to have our lives fully with all allegiance to Jesus and orientated around the kingdom. So that way, every single day of our lives, our lives are overflowing. We posture our hearts where everything that we do, we actually care about how it lines up with the teachings of Jesus. And so worship is lifestyle. Number two, worship is a celebration of truth. That's the point that I think Jesus is making when he says the spirit and truth. Folks, truth matters. Amen. Facts matter. It's crazy we have to say that these days, but we, we need to realize that, that worship is connected to truth. And that's why I want to tell you theology matters. The way that we think about God, the way that we articulate our faith, the way that we think about what we believe matters because it's connected to worship. Worship is surrender. As I've been hinting at, the idea that Jesus is Lord is so countercultural these days. But saying that Jesus is Lord means that we surrender our lives to Him. And then finally, worship, I think, is about encountering and experiencing God in an intimate way. Now, I, I just want to put that, put a pause on the word intimate. Because, like, I remember when I was growing up and I hear the word intimate, I'd be like, that's such a weird word. I had a different word for it, but I was like, I'm not trying to have intimacy with God. That sounds weird. And so I really just didn't understand what that meant. But let me tell you really quickly the history of worship, okay? So like for thousands, hundreds and thousands of years, the way that churches worshiped was quite different than the way that we did this morning. To where groups would get together and they would sing hymns, which I love hymns, so do not mishear me right now. But they would sing hymns and they would declare truths about God. And so they would sing songs about the truth of who God is. But in the 70s, what started to happen through church movements like Calvary Chapel and the Jesus people and the vineyard was in a lean into what we now call contemporary worship, where the early, early followers of Jesus and those, those churches started not just to sing songs to God, but started singing songs 
or about God to God. They started singing not just truths about him, but they started having like a relational aspect to their worship. So the songs went from being God, you you are holy and, and mighty and he's forever with us and things like that to being I adore you and I love you and your presence means the world to me. And so when you think about our movement, the vineyard, we were at the forefront of a lot of what God was doing in the 70s, which I think has to do with this idea of, of encountering and experiencing God. So I'm telling you right now, at that time when I was, when I was you know, in this space where I was growing a lot in my curiosity about worship, and I sensed the presence of God for like one of the first times ever, again, the only, the only way I can describe it is I felt so deeply loved. It was like this intimacy that blew my mind, blew my mind. And that is a lot about what worship is. So when we talk about worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth, I think the point that we're trying to press into is being able to experience God, being able to encounter him. And I have found that when I encounter God, I never stay the same. I never stay the same. Let's stand. I mean, the point, the point that we've been making for a couple of weeks now is you need to get engaged. Right? Not like to somebody you're going to marry, but like, Get engaged in being a part of God's kingdom. And so I think some ways we can think about that is get engaged by worship. So when we gather together, I, I'm just, I'm challenging you. And I'm not judging you. I just want to let you know, I'm not like sitting over there like, hmm, who's singing loudest? You know, who's the weirdo? Who's, who's? Yeah, you are. Just kidding. <laughs> We all, we all um, need to gather and think about the question of how can we engage more with Jesus, right? And so, like, for some of us, it may be singing, right? And the way you engage in worship more may be to actually participate in singing. Maybe you need to take the risk of lifting your hands and stop worrying about what someone next to you thinks. Because, again, just listen to me. Just listen to this. I'm telling you, when I lifted my hands for the first time, it was just, I, I remember it because I, I remember that going in the back of my mind. And I was like, I was, I was in it. I was in the moment and we're singing and I was like, okay, I want, I want to grow. I want, I want you, Lord, to know how I feel about you. And I remember hearing that Alan Payne thing. And I remember feeling like this, this, this struggle because I was, was like, oh, but everybody around me is going to laugh at me. By the way, meanwhile, everybody around me was totally raising my hands and I was totally the weirdo for not doing it. Okay? But I was like, oh, they'll laugh at me. And I remember when I just lifted my hands, it was like God's presence really did fill me up. Why? Because the Bible tells us that when we, when we enthrone him, when we give him first place, he always responds. The Bible tells us if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Amen? And so... I'm telling you, I want to encourage you to engage in worship. I'm not keeping track. I'm, I'm being serious. Be thoughtful of whether what you're doing is distracting to others. All those things are true. But I think it's okay to lift our voices. It's okay to raise our hearts and our hands to the Lord. Amen. And so in a moment, we're going we're gonna to close with this song. 
and you're free to worship how you, if you want to bow your heads, if you want to sit, that's fine too. But before we do that, can we just take a moment to pray? Let's close our eyes for a minute. And Lord, we do want your Holy Spirit's presence right now. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. sense two things and just with our eyes closed and heads bowed so we can try to hear and, and again posture our hearts to be receptive to him um, I think the first thing is that um, you know the fear of man being afraid of what other people think has has really got some of you and stuck. And it's like, you, I, I have this sense that there's a member of you who really do want to grow. You really do want to move toward the kingdom. You want to get to be more faithful in your, in your faith. You want to get more engaged. And, and yet there's this fear of what other people will think that's preventing you from doing that. And, and so I want to do this. If, if that's you, we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray that, that God would heal you from being afraid of what other people think. And then the second thing, I just had this sense, um, actually all week I've been having this sense that um, there's, you know, some of us really have this, this question that has been just kind of residing in our hearts a little bit. And it's this question of, God, will you love me even if dot, dot, dot. And then you have whatever messiness or brokenness or experiences you have. Will, God, will you, e will you love me even if I do X, Y, Z? And I want to let you know this morning that God's answer to you is yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so God loves you more than you'll ever imagine. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. If you're here, everybody's eyes, this is not about looking around other people, but if you're here and you want God to remove the fear that you have or you want to be reminded right now how much he loves you. I'm just going to ask you just to lift up your hands right now. This isn't about other people. This is just about you. And so, God, I pray right now for every person who um, is, is externally expressing the desire for more of your presence, I pray that you would fill them. That you would fill them with your presence. I pray that you would, um, Lord, remove any fear. We thank you that the Bible tells us that, that, that the love of God casts out fear. And so we pray for the perfect love of your kingdom right now to come. I pray that there be no more fear controlling or manipulating us. And then, Lord, I pray also just for more of your love 
to fill the hearts of every single person here. 